Go ahead and have a seat. If you'd like, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 once again. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 for a few weeks yet. If you don't have a Bible but you'd like to follow along, there's a cart right back by the uh, sound desk there. You're welcome to get up right now and go grab one. Feel free to do that. We are studying the Sermon on the Mount. We're in our fourth week. And the first week, Rachel and Don uh, Tiskovics read the Sermon on the Mount for us, thanks to them. And then the last three weeks, uh, we started with the Beatitudes, or the ninefold path, the ninefold way of Jesus. And the challenge for us during our Sermon on the Mount series is that we're going to memorize this together. So let's read it again. Uh, Preston, can we get the Beatitudes? Let's read this together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right. So this we talked about in, in week number two is this is the way. This is what Jesus is asking us to do, to be his disciple. It's a different way of being human. Then, if that's like the preamble of the entire Sermon on the Mount, then, in the next week, we talked about the purpose statement. The purpose statement being that we are to be salt and light in this world. In other words, we are to bring God's kingdom to the kingdoms of this earth. We are to represent the kingdom of heaven. As we live out the way of Jesus, we show the world and the kingdoms of this world what it means to be a member of God's kingdom. And God's ways are not the world's ways, right? So now, in week number four, we're gonna move on to Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 20. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And if you're taking notes today, underline that. Everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit because if you were like me, this is kind of, don't understand why Jesus goes here and understanding the law and putting it in context, what does this all mean? Why did he even say this? Well, let's step back and understand that in Jesus' day, the law, and what he means by the law is the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The law that God gave to the Hebrew people after they escaped slavery in Egypt, and he said, this is, this is how I want you to live. He gave them the law. So in Jesus' day, if you were a Hebrew like Jesus was, in the whole land where he was growing up, your whole life was dictated by the letter of the law. You were expected by the establishment to live by the law. And if you didn't live by the law, you were out. They were also, at this point in time, looking for the Messiah. So the prophets, and by that we're talking about all the prophets, the books of prophecy in the Old Testament, the prophets were pointing towards the Messiah, and it was a big deal in Jesus' day. Everyone was looking for the Messiah and what that meant. And the, the, the religious establishment decided that that Messiah is going to look a certain way based on what the prophets said. So Jesus knows that as he shares his way, he is going to come up against opposition from the religious establishment who have founded their whole power structure on the law and the prophets. And it's going, he is going to be criticized and his followers are going to be criticized that they do not follow the law and they do not listen to the prophets. And guess what, remember a couple years ago, for those of you who've been around for a few years in the book of Acts, that's exactly what happened. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you because of me. That's exactly what the religious establishment is going to do. So Jesus, as he's entering into this, this is the way I'm gonna show you the way I wanna go, he has to address this because the law and the prophets drove everyday existence and life within the social system of that day. So that's why he's saying it. But there's a bigger context for us that we need to understand. So I'm gonna ask us to think some big thinks this morning, okay? Um, I'm gonna step back, and rather than getting into the minutia of scripture, we're gonna step back and we're gonna look at a big picture, okay? Now God is a God of metaphor. Metaphor is something that stands for something else without using like or as. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said, you are the light of the world. Why, because you're reflecting me, that's a metaphor. You are the salt of the earth, that's a metaphor. God's base language is metaphor. He reveals himself through everything that has been created, that's a metaphor. In other words, we can look at nature and understand God, who God is just by looking at nature. That's what Roman 1.20 says, because it's a metaphor. Everything he creates expresses who he is. So, with that in mind, we need to understand that the Sermon on the Mount comes at a specific point in this story, from Genesis to Revelation. 
So the great story begins with creation and it ends at the end of Revelation with the end of this world and the creation of a new world and a new heaven and earth. And it's this one story. But you can't understand the whole story. We can't understand the Sermon on the Mount until we understand the context of where it comes in the story. Now, I'm, think about life. God, metaphors are layered with meaning. So, when God speaks to us through metaphor, for example, in creation, we have four seasons. We have the new birth of spring, followed by the, the summer and growth, followed by a reaping and harvest, followed by the death of winter. It's like a life, isn't it? And in fact, I've been listening to a book called The Fourth Turning this last week, and it's fascinating because these historians have, have looked back at the history of the United States and even further back than that, and what they have what they've discovered is that, you know, every generation comes along. So we have Gen X and Gen Y and millennials and now Gen Z that's coming up and the boomers are beginning to die off. And what they discovered when they looked at it is that, that there is a cycle that happens every four generations. And the events that take place in history can, can almost be predicted based on which generation is being birthed, which generation is coming of age, which generation is reaching the apex of their influence, and which generation is dying. And because each generation has certain things that happen during that generation, and you can look at it, and you can go back in time, and I, I love this, why? Because that's the way God works. Our God is a God of order, and he creates things. And they're all layered. So the generations are like the four seasons. Now, let's step back. This great story from Genesis to Revelation. For a long time, I have believed that just as God gives us this paradigm of birth, life, descent, death, and new birth, the entire story is like one life cycle. The birth of creation and humanity all the way to the death of this earth and humanity and then what? A new creation and a new order. So it's like one life cycle. Now, let's think about the story of Exodus. The law and the prophets. We're gonna go back to the beginning of time. And I consider the time of Exodus, when the law was given, is like the toddler stage of humanity. With me? Think about a toddler. A toddler is completely self-centered. A toddler is a slave to his emo or her emotional reactions. In fact, we've got a toddler grandson right now, and our daughter's just like going, oh my gosh. When he goes off, he goes off, right? That's a toddler. A toddler is driven by their base appetites, by my hunger, by my being tired, by my wanting what I want. And that 
is a description of what humanity was like, what civilization was like during the Iron Age and before. Mankind was like a toddler. And toddlers also live by sort of the rule of the playground. The biggest bully on the playground gets to push the others away and get the toy they want. That's exactly what civilization was like during the Exodus. So God takes this people, he delivers them out of Egypt, and he gives them the law. He says, I want to show you a different way of being human. But wait a minute, Tom, you said that the Beatitudes were a different way of being human. Uh Uh-huh, part two. The law was part one. Now think about a toddler. When Taylor and Madison, our daughters, were toddlers, I laid down the law. And it was black and white, because that's what you do with a toddler, right? You do this, and mommy and daddy are gonna be really happy with you. You don't do that, or mommy and daddy are gonna punish you. So there is a black and white rule followed by a blessing for obedience and a punishment for disobedience. Welcome to the Ten Commandments. Welcome to the law. God says, I want to show you a different way of being human, but I'm dealing with toddlers in the spectrum, the lifetime of humanity. So he makes it black and white. I want to teach you my way. Now, how many, by a show of hands, trick question here, how many of you would like to be judged today based on the person you were in middle school, high school, and college? Anybody? No way! way! Because all of us in middle school and high school and college, we were all knuckleheads. We didn't know anything about life. We were being rebellious. We were pushing the boundaries. We were saying no to our parents. We were finding ourselves. Just this week, there has been a, a, a topic of what's called presentism. Anybody read about that? Presentism. Basically, what presentism is, and it's happening all around us, is that we judge the past based on what we know, believe, and think today. Just like judging ourselves based on what we know today when we were back in the day when we were knuckleheads. Well, presentism is doing that right now. We are rewriting history by judging history by what we think and believe today. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't work. We have to look at history in the context of where we were in that day. And this has been a tactic that's been used for years to completely discount God's word. Oh, I can't handle that Old Testament stuff. I can't handle the, the way of the violence and the, the way that God laid down the law. That, I don't like the Old Testament God. I didn't like my dad when I was four. Because he was mean sometimes. 
and he laid down the law. And if I, I was scared of him sometimes. Now I know now that my dad loved me and he needed to lay down the law with me, a little toddler, right? God is the same way. So we have to look at it in those contexts. Now, next, next piece. Here's what man does with the things of God. Man has a way of taking what God gives us and turning it into a larger system, human system, by which we control others, manipulate others, and get more for ourselves. That's the way humanity works. Think about the clicks you, you had in high school, right? That's just a, a small paradigm, the same thing. These little clicks, where all of a sudden somebody who's really popular and really strong kind of dictates the rules. And then you got the, the mean girls or the mean boys kind of bullying and saying who's in and who's out. And if you don't do this, then I'm not gonna, you're not gonna be popular like me. It's just like a, this little system. Well, religion did the same thing with God's law. I told Taylor and Madison when they were toddlers, you're going to bed at eight o'clock every night. Now, you can sit and read a book for a little bit or whatever, but you're gonna be quiet, you're gonna to go to bed, and you're gonna rest because you need to rest. Now, when, when Taylor and Madison come home for the holidays here in a few months, I am not gonna look at them and say, you are going to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> because the reason that we give toddlers black and white rules is to teach them the principles they're going to need as adults. And as adults, they need to know how to listen to their body, get their rest, listen to their rhythms. That's a principle to live by. God said, I gave you these rules, these laws in the Old Testament, wanting you to grow up spiritually so that you learn the principles, you learn the way that I want you to live. James 1.3, we... Memorize that during the James series, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, what is he saying? I want humanity to grow up into spiritual adulthood, into spiritual maturity. But they weren't there then. They were just toddlers. Now Jesus comes on the scene and the establishment, the religious establishment, had taken the law and turned it into a money-making racket by which the people at the top of the food chain, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, could get all they wanted for themselves and could control the masses because they had created a human kingdom, a human system, a kingdom of this world based on religion. But it's no different than politics, it was no different than commerce, it was the same thing. The people at the top get everything, the people at the bottom have nothing, and the people at the top control what everybody below them does or thinks or says. And this is the world into which Jesus came along and said, I want to show you a different way. 
to be human. So he has to talk about the law and the prophets because that was the kingdom of this world that was controlling all of God's people. And he knows that if his disciples are gonna follow his way, they are going to run afoul of that kingdom of this world. So let's go back to Matthew chapter five because I wanna point out a couple things. We need to understand that what's going on here is part of something larger. Let's go back to what he said in Matthew chapter five, 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'm gonna grow you up in your understanding. I want you to, to mature, to understand the principles that are buried in the law. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, that's Revelation, chapter 20 to 21, 22. This earth and heaven are going to disappear. He is laying it out. He's saying, this is part of the story. And until the end of this great story, this law, God's ways, God's prophets, they're still intact. And in fact, I'm going to fully embody them and I'm gonna ask you to fully embody them. But it's not gonna look like this religious human kingdom that you've lived under. It's going to look different. So he goes on. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one, will be, teaches others, will be least, but whoever practices will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Because these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had righteousness that was really transformed into a kingdom of this world. When God's righteousness is turned into a religious kingdom of man, it's about power, not humility. Think about that. Were you ever brought up in a church system, a religious system, where it was all about the power to make you do what was expected of you? That's power, not humility. But what is the way of Jesus? Blessed are the meek. Realist kingdoms, it's rules, not right living. Living by the principles that God lays out. But God says, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not rule keeping. It's about kingdom of this world, it's about appearances. I gotta look good, I gotta look religious, I gotta make sure that nobody gets ashamed of me. I gotta make sure my children don't shame me. I gotta make sure my children look good and don't embarrass me. I gotta make sure that everything in my life is up to snuff so that I'm not shamed or embarrassed. That's all about appearances. But the way of Christ is about right motive. Blessed are the pure in heart. I've got our, I, I'm doing things because I'm motivated by the right motives not just to avoid the shame. Kingdom of this world, the kingdom of religion is about judgment. 
not compassion. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The kingdom of religion, man's kingdom of religion is about exclusion. Excluding those who don't fit in, that don't measure up. But God's kingdom is a kingdom of inclusion. No male or female, nor Gentile or Jew. No slave or free, but all one in God's spirit. Every tribe, every language, every nation, every people on earth. It's inclusive. So, where do we end? (laughs) This is so important for where we are today. I believe this in my whole heart. We are at a point in history where everything about God's righteousness is coming under attack. The basic truths, basic truths, he created them male and female, are now being torn down. And there is no male or female. It's anything, you can be anything which is just another version of what Satan did, what evil did in the garden. Did God really say? It's the same paradigm. We are living in a time where the kingdoms of this world are rejecting and tearing down and they want to completely change history and how we see history so that it meets their worldview so that their power and how they want everyone to think and believe and act will do, have to do what they say. And into the kingdoms of this world, Jesus says what? You're my salt, you're my light. There is no other plan. So we right now, my brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no, I don't think there's been perhaps any time in human history where we need God's people to live the way of Jesus every day in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our lives, in our relationships. We have to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're called to do. And so righteousness, understand, is the inside out. It comes from the right motive. It comes from me on the inside, letting God take control of my mind and my heart. Wendy and I have been praying so much just that that we would all have the mind of Christ, our minds renewed, so that from the inside out, we can be Jesus to a dark world. That's what we're talking about. So now what's gonna be really interesting in the next six weeks, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, I actually came to fulfill them, to give you an adult version of the black and white toddler rules to the adult principles of God's kingdom, spiritual maturity, spiritual completeness, Now he's going to give us six practical examples. So for the next six weeks, Jesus said, 
you have heard it said, and he's going to bring up a law from Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's gonna say, you've heard this law from the toddler stage, but I say, this is what it means to be a spiritually mature adult in my kingdom. Because it's not about the toddler letter of the law being at bed at eight o'clock. It's about a spiritually mature adult understanding you need Sabbath. You need rest. So that's where we're going. Keep coming back. Stay with us on this journey. Action steps. I'll ask the uh, worship team to come on up. Uh, memorize Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. We're working on that. Uh, I think we still have some scripture memory cards in the back there. Yep, when they're there. So it actually has it on a little bookmark kind of thing, so you can do that. Uh, grab one of those, be working on that. Second thing, grow. Choose in. Choose into a text group. Choose into a class. Choose into a... Uh, you know, something that the church offers, choose the Bible blueprint, choose into whatever, get plugged in and find a way to begin growing in your spiritual life. And next week, if you don't have anything, uh, Alan mentioned at the beginning, but the, uh, starting next week, the Made to Flourish class is going to happen in this room at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So, for those of us who love to sit around and talk forever, we're gonna have to vacate because we're gonna have, we have the people coming in to use this room uh, by 11 o'clock starting next week. But hey, if you haven't signed up for anything, what a great way. Just hang out with a cup of coffee and at 11 o'clock, go sit back down in your chair. And next week, we're gonna, they're gonna talk, every week it's gonna be how do we apply this ninefold path of Jesus to real life situations today. And next week it's how do we have political conversations with people we disagree with and yet do it in a grace-filled way. Does anybody else need that? Amen, yes. So that's next week, that's, uh, that's live and open to us. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your, for your word, thank you. Jesus, that you came to show us a different way. Oh Lord, we know that this world we were part of this great story that's being played out. Help us to do, play the role that you have given us to be your kingdom people, living salt and light in a dark world. Help us to be your disciples, to live your way, to have an impact on those around us out of love and our desire to follow your way of trust and compassion and humility and surrender and peacemaking and radical love. In your name, amen.